0: at the elite level climbing is really strength based but in the beginning stage and the middle stage and even the high level stage like that's a lot of skill acquisition
1: What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Chris Hampton. Welcome to the Power Company Podcast, brought to you by PowerCompanyClimbing.com. Today is a rewind back to our 30th episode from March of 2017 with Jonathan Segrist. And we chose this episode to air today because on May 18th, well, actually... I found the reason for this one really fascinating, and I wanted to know if Jonathan even knew this fact about himself that I had stumbled across, so I called him up in Catalonia, Spain, where he's in the midst of a mega project.
2: Starting to feel the stress, the time pressure, all that, so yeah, it's, it's all, yeah, it's
1: this is the- That's what this you live the for, though, part. right?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. <laughs>
1: Well, man, the I won't keep you long on here. This is just meant to be a super quick lead in uh, to a oh. Rewind episode because while you and I have talked quite a bit over the years, we haven't recorded mm-hmm. for a long time.
2: Um, yeah, that's true. Yeah.
1: Like you were one of my early episodes at, I think we recorded at Nathan Welton's house in Estes Park. Um, Holy
2: shoot.
1: Dion's You're aggressive. right, dude. <laughs>
2: You're right. Wow, that was a long time ago. So wait, what number episode was that? And where are you at now?
1: You know what? I don't remember, but it was probably like around episode 30, and we're closing in on 300 now. So oh
2: my God. Wow.
1: <laughs> so it was a long time ago. Um even worse. So we need to we need to do another one, is what I'm saying.
2: Yeah, that anytime. Yeah.
1: But I'm rewinding to that episode. I'm gonna repost it because I think the things we talked about in that episode are still so valuable today. And what we talked about was like rethinking your, your preparation for projects, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: even though you haven't like plateaued or gotten stuck somewhere. It's like, let's, let's tweak and let's interrogate and let's rethink it a little bit and continue trying to progress. And having watched your career over the last, you know, whatever it's been five years since then or something, maybe more at this point. I don't know. I lose track of time, but you've consistently progressed. So I think that that message that we got across in that was really cool. And I want to put it out for the new listeners who haven't maybe gone way back in the catalog yet.
2: Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. Right on. Nice.
1: Do you have any idea? We're going to post it on May 18th. Do you have any idea why?
2: On May 18th? Uh, no, okay. <laughs> I don't. well,
1: here's why I was looking for like, oh, what, you know, when did Jonathan do something cool that we could release this, you know, in like conjunction with that date. And I started looking at your 8a and I don't know uh-huh. if you log things the day you do them, or if you like just log them when you get around to it.
2: It depends on how long ago it was. I was like hyper accurate with that stuff. More recently, a little like if if you go too far back, I was just taking guesses because I didn't start on 8A for a handful yeah. of years. But anyways, what is it? Is it the day I did jumbo?
1: Well, so out of your four 9Bs. Okay. Two of them were logged on May 18th in night in 2021 and 2022. That's crazy. And okay. Jumbo Love was logged on May 17th of 2018.
2: Whoa, that's good. And
1: your fourth one was also in May, but on Yeah. Star Wars Day, May the 4th. So
2: That's awesome. I don't think I knew that. That's a great fact. That there I mean there the three all within a day, that's insane. Yeah. And then the fact that they're all in May is definitely you know what i've always thought actually would be very interesting because a lot of my years are kind of on a similar trajectory i would love to see like the the year and performance you know like charted over the months because i do tend to kind of follow roughly the same like normally i'm training in the winter normally i have a spring trip to europe normally i'm like Hot and bothered all summer long, (laughs) Mm -hmm, and then you know normally I have like something early fall that gets me motivated as well. So that is that is really cool, dude. May is my month. Well, that's really sweet to hear because I'm going to save this May. Oh, sick! I don't know. Don't don't
1: be superstitious about it though. Don't let it be like, (laughs) oh fuck, it's April, I can't send yet.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, no. I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say, uh, an extended spring is my time. With, yeah. with May seventeenth or eighteenth being like the center point, so I get two months plus or minus.
1: <laughs> I like it. I like it. That's the best way to look at it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was talking to Blake just yesterday, and I mentioned to him this like May seventeenth and eighteenth phenomenon, and he's like, "Oh God, you're gonna you're gonna give him anxiety now." <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, I I. I uh, I, I definitely have stress about sending and performance and stuff like that, but thankfully I'm not too psychotic of a, um, I don't have a ton of, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, superstitions.
1: Superstitions. Or yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't yeah. have a ton of superstitions. Like you don't wear the same like that, underwear so the whole time in Europe.
2: <laughs> well, hold on. That, that's not a superstition.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Totally. <clears throat> yeah well man that's that i just wanted to see if you knew that because i when i started looking i thought it was that's pretty just crazy a really fantastic coincidence that you're like at peak performance mid-may multiple years
2: that's i mean that's exciting to hear because you know may is still a little bit away so that means i can just keep doing better <laughs> hopefully <laughs> yeah totally <laughs> yeah well awesome, man, man. I,
1: I appreciate you taking the time out while you're over there and mm-hmm. good luck with the, the giant rig that you're thanks, trying. It looks, it looks massive and complicated, so I, I can't yeah, wait to dude, hear thanks more about it.
2: Yeah, yeah, man. I appreciate it. Um, I'm happy to chat again with you guys anytime and uh, yeah, thanks for the opportunity and the support.
1: Yeah, let's let's do it again next time we're in the same place, same time. Let's Let's record again. Yeah, sounds sick, dude. All right, man, have fun. Squeeze squeeze Drew for me.
2: All right, well, (laughs) take
1: care, See you, man. By the time you get this, it's entirely possible that he's already broken this streak. But for now, on what might just be his unicorn day, May 18th, we are rewinding to this timeless conversation with one of America's best sport climbers and, frankly, just one of the best humans out there. Let's get into it. You know, you were climbing at a really high level to begin with, like before you ever really started focusing on structured training Mm -hmm. or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And you had kind of, if I understand correctly, and stop me if I'm wrong, but it seems like you had kind of followed the same uh, way of doing things uh, for a lot of years. Yeah, definitely. And that got you to, to a really high level. Mm-hmm. You know, you were climbing 14D, just doing what you'd been doing. So what, I, what I'm interested in is what causes you or what allows your ego to be like, okay, we need to change things up.
0: Well, I think that, that that's a challenge that a lot of people are going to have to face because the more I hear people talk about training and I hear people talk about um changing their climbing. I think people are just so obsessed with volume, and that was like the biggest thing for me, is uh, I was, all of my training up until that point had been like volume based, right? So I, and, and in the gym I would do the same thing, and then uh, I was running a lot, which is something that I was really motivated by, and I also was convinced, despite Hearing from so many people that right. running was going to help my climb,
1: and you were going pretty hard running,
0: yeah, for sure. No, especially like the summer I lived in Lander. Um, I was I'd run in the winds uh, like three or four times a, a week, and it'd be right. like at least ten miles, sometimes fifteen. That sounds hands to me. I mean, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I honestly, I really miss it a lot. But, um, but yeah, I heard enough from enough people that um, suggested I change the way I kind of approach my climbing and mm-hmm. my training. And, um, it was really hard. Cause I, cause like you said, I, I mean, I was coming from a place of like, well, this is working for me. You know? I mean, I mean, I've gotten to where I am at that point. I had kind of plateaued for like probably three and a half years or something. Okay. Um, I climbed my first 14 D in 2010 and, um, that was like a pretty big breakthrough for me in the fall of 2010. And then um I probably didn't climb anything harder than that for up until early 2014. So All
1: right. So you were ready for a change.
0: Yeah, I was ready for a change and and also I really wanted to to like have another breakthrough in my climbing and um and yeah, like I said, I, I definitely had to make myself vulnerable in the sense that I I was like this works, you know. It's really hard to like let go of these patterns that we create, for sure. And to be like, and to hear, you know, someone tell you that kind of everything you're doing is wrong, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, certainly not everything. I obviously like, it right. worked for, it for got the, you there, yeah. But I kind of it, it felt like a risk for sure. And when I first talked with, when I first spoke with Mark Anderson, um, he just again and again and again, tried to assure me that it, it would work and that it wasn't a risk and, and, right. um, uh, but regardless, it felt that way. And, and for the first month or month and a half of kind of changing things, I was really s- skeptical, yeah. you know, and really like, yeah, after uh, every session you're like, this shit isn't working. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and it's just hard cause I was under the impression, I think a lot of people are too, still that you just you know if you're not leaving the gym completely exhausted or leaving the crag completely exhausted that you're not you know you you're not having seen cnn anybody. right you're not
1: getting it. a workout
0: and that and and certainly for the first little while i was you know a lot of days i'd leave the gym and be like i could go for another you know 6 hours or something you know but i guess i'll just stop now and and you know oh i'd love on oh, rest day comes around oh i'd love to do it 16 mile run with my dog but instead I'm gonna sit here you know and that was really hard for me
1: yeah I bet that was tough for you because I remember having Thanksgiving dinner with you at Miguel's years ago
0: and and
1: you and Angie Payne were having this conversation about rest days (laughs) yeah and at the time you hadn't taken more than like two rest days in a row or two or three rest days in a row in years Years. and years yeah totally yeah
0: yeah and you know I, I think it was it was based on a couple different things. One was that, yeah, I was like obsessed and I and I really felt like the volume was helping me. And second, it was also like, um, I do think that early, especially early on in your climbing, um, I started climbing when I was 18. So, mm-hmm. I mean, for the first, you know, six, seven, even eight years, it's true that if I took a week off, like I would climb differently. And sure. I, And I think that for most people, that's true, you know? And- now it's different. I've been climbing for 12 years, and um I feel like I could take, you know, three days off is like not a problem at all. Like it, it's only helpful. A week off, maybe there's like one day where I feel a little like awkward like and then it's like totally back yeah. to normal, which is something that you kind of have to earn, you know? Mm-hmm. And and so it was partly driven by that, by that, that like authentic feeling of being like, Oh, I don't climb as well as I did a week ago or whatever. Um, but also it was just me I had the, I had this strong impression that, you know, climbing was an endurance activity and I should just get, just climb until I was exhausted or run until I was exhausted every day.
1: Right. And during, you know, during the initial years of your climbing, that volume is probably the right thing to do. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and, it, and
0: a lot of, you're people, learning a lot. Totally. And, and I think it's like just getting the hours of experience under your belt, um, You know, at the elite level, climbing is really strength based. But Mm -hmm. um, in the beginning stage, and the middle stage, and even the high level stage, like it's a lot of skill acquisition. And I think, you know, a a mistake that a lot of people make nowadays is, um, I mean, people come. I've had people come to strength training seminars I've given, or or ask me directly you know, I'm a, I'm a 10 D climber. I really want to break into 11 a, like, can you suggest some hangboard routines for me? And I'm like, no,
1: go rock climbing,
0: go rock climbing, go climbing as much as you can. And I, and I, you know, I asked them a little more about like, are you challenging yourself when you're in the gym? You know, how many days a week are you going climbing? And when I hear, oh, not really. I kind of just play around in the gym and I climb one day a week. I'm like, that's the reason why you're not improving. It's not because you need to buy some book or like change your diet or anything (laughs) Like, no, I, I, I'm i a pretty strong believer that you should just climb and try and challenge yourself and climb on different rock types and go outside as much as you can until you're even a mid-513 level climber, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I would say I, I would agree with that to a point. I think I think different people plateau in different places, you mm-hmm. know, and then they need mm-hmm. to change things up. But, but definitely the majority of what we do here is, you know, Just structuring people's sessions so that they're not just going into the gym and playing around. You know, it's it's ninety percent rock climbing.
0: Totally, yeah, and and I think that that's great. And I do think that, like we've just talked, I mean, to you don't have to be training to improve at your climbing. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, when you're really nearing your personal capabilities, I do think that you have to eliminate all variables possible and train in a really really smart way if you want to improve period um but for many many years it i think it really benefits people like you said just to have structure just to go into the gym and kind of know a little bit what they're doing and it can still just be a fun climbing day with all your yeah, friends for sure but you know th- there's there's so many different ways you can go into the gym and and just climb routes or go bouldering for three hours and, and one way will benefit you a lot better than the other way yeah and
1: i've you know i've heard for years about people saying oh, i don't want to train you know i climb because i love climbing i don't want to go train yeah but, but if training can be a really structured fun session yeah you know it, it doesn't can. have to be yeah. lifting weights or hang boarding or doing pull-ups or whatever mm-hmm. the majority of people are gonna get more out of just climbing and yeah. trying trying interesting fun things instead of just totally. doing the same old thing every time. Totally, yeah. So I'm curious when, when Mark was first talking to you, first mm-hmm. off, did you, did you approach Mark or did he approach you and say, here's something you could change in your climbing?
0: Um, it was a little bit of both. So I, I was, at the time, um, it was 2013 and during the whole summer I lived in Lander, mm-hmm. which was awesome and I dearly missed that place. Um, but I was climbing a lot with BJ and with yourself and anyone that was around the whole 307 crew. Yep. And, um, I had a good summer. Um, I, I climbed a lot of great stuff. I was doing a lot of bolting at Wolf Point at the time. And I ran into Mike Anderson one day when I was climbing at the, um, erratic. I was trying moonshine and Mike was there and he was trying ghost moon or something. I can't remember exactly what it was. But he was totally kicking ass. And um, I had in the back of my head that I wanted to go to France the next year and I really wanted to go to Seyus and I wanted to try hard and all these things. And I knew that I was going to have a structured training period during the winter. And basically, um, Mike happened to be there. He took some pictures of me on on Moonshine and he published them in the book. And he also asked me, you know, hey, we, me and my brother and I are writing this book and we'd love it if you could take a look at it and maybe, you know, give us your two cents for the back page or whatever. Yep. Cool. And so he sent me a digital copy of the book and it was like I read one chapter and I was like I called both of them immediately and I was like I want you to train me basically. Cool. Because it was it was what I needed. It was like scientific and it was like more like engineering or something and right. less like kind of I, I like the way. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for me, like, as a, like my character, I needed that mm-hmm. to feel like I could kind of give up everything I had done. I, I wanted something that felt like it was proven, you know, and, and it felt mm-hmm. like really well structured and yeah, less risk. That's, yeah, exactly. what, that's what you were looking for. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so then, you know, I basically said, you know, here's your quote for the back of the book. And by the way, you know, do you, could i pay you guys or whatever to help me this winter and mark was really gracious and basically just like uh uh generous and just was like come out to my place on you know whenever you can and we'll, i'll take you through a couple sessions and you know i'll kind of help you along and and whatever and pretty much since then i still write those both of those guys when i have questions um over the years i've really tailored I've I've kind of taken I'd say like what I do is 70 to 80% of, of like the uh rock prodigy system. Mm-hmm. And I've changed the last twenty or thirty percent to kind of accommodate um what I feel works best for me personally. But sure. I but I mean I still think that uh by all means those guys are like legends when it comes to training and I think yeah, that for they for sure um they help me immensely. Um if for nothing else than just to be like, Hey, you should try this. You know, and having it come from two dudes who I knew only had a few free hours a week to, to try.
1: So, so, you didn't have to be convinced necessarily. It was, you had already internalized the idea that you needed to do something a little different. Yeah,
0: I, I knew that I wanted to do something different. And I think I had a few ideas of what I would, because the whole time up until then, I never had a coach. I never had any kind of, I mean, I had taken tidbits from here and there, but I never was on a climbing team, I never competed. I never had any direction from anyone else. It was mm-hmm. just like me kind of figuring things out, totally trial and error right. by myself. And I think basically I had come to terms with the fact that if I wanted to break through and if I wanted to change my climbing, that I needed help. And I didn't know exactly how that would come. Yeah. But that was just like the idea floating around in my head and then kind of that day at the erratic and, and then later seeing, um, seeing this text was like, oh, this is clearly it, you know, I'll try this, you know. And I didn't know if that would work or not, but I was like, well, I got to try something, you know. Yeah, for
1: sure. And I know you You eventually, I don't know if it happened right away, but you eventually started bouldering more. Mm-hmm. And you didn't consider yourself a good boulder at no. that point. And, you know, some definitely people can look at it and go, what the hell is he talking about? He didn't consider himself a good boulder, you mm-hmm. know, because you're doing V12s pretty fast right off the bat. Mm-hmm. But for you, you know, and you know when compared to your what you're doing on routes, V12 wasn't what you wanted to be at. Yeah,
0: yeah. And and actually up until so last summer was the first time I started doing more bouldering definitely in the gym mm-hmm. and because in the end, kind of what I discovered was that through all the years, I mean, before I started climbing, I was racing mountain bikes. So I had a really strong foundation in like cardiovascular fitness. And I yep. knew how to train volume really well, intervals, all that kind of stuff. I, right. So when I came into climbing, I totally just applied that same, I was like, oh, climbing is, you know, I'm thinking like, oh, I'm getting pumped and I'm breathing hard. It must be an endurance activity. Mm-hmm. Uh, so i pretty much applied all the things that i'd learned from mountain biking and and training in that sense and into climbing which like like we established worked really well for me for many years the thing that really changed for me was and and i think having a third party which is why having a trainer having a coach is so important is to have yeah. someone that, other than yourself telling you what you're good and what you're bad at. Yep. <laughs> Cause it's sure. really easy for me to say, I'm good at this, I'm bad at this, and I'm most of the time I'm wrong.
1: Yeah, we always think we're better at something or think we're worse at something. Totally. Than we actually are.
0: And so that was really beneficial to have Mike and Mark. I mean, they went to the extent of like watching all the videos I had been in. They came and climbed with me and and, mm-hmm. you know, watched me during training sessions and they were like, okay, here's what you suck at, here's what you're good at. And they were like, you know, you're exceptionally good at this, and you're qu- pretty bad, actually, at this. And, and I knew that already, you know, but it was kind of like, oh, man, you know, like yeah. hearing it, officially <laughs> hearing it from somebody. But that's what I needed, you know. And, and basically what we came up with is that my my power, which still to this day is really lacking, and the net result was like, don't ever train stamina again, basically. You know, I right. had been doing like tread wall sessions, like going to the gym doing twenty-five laps or whatever yep. every day. And it was basically like just don't do that.
1: Yeah, that stuff comes back so fast. Yeah. And so. I
0: and I and that was the scariest thing for me. Like letting talking about vulnerability it. and whatever it was just completely letting go of that. And mm-hmm. and I will say right now that since uh I since the winter between 2013 and 2014, I have never, I, what I would personally consider, I've never trained stamina or endurance since then. Yep. The only thing I've trained is strength and power. And the stamina, I mean, yeah, I get pumped sometimes. And last summer I took five weeks and didn't tie in once and only bouldered. And when I came back to Climbing Roots, I was like depressed for two weeks because I was like, <laughs> this is the only thing I'm good at and now I'm bad at no, it. I'm bad at but it. Uh, it came back around, you know, and it was okay. Yeah. Um, and for me personally, that was really what I needed. And and so, yes, to answer your question like from minutes ago, um, bouldering became mostly indoors, but bouldering became a huge element of my training, definitely.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm kind of in the same boat uh, albeit at a much lower level than you, um, I got to 13C by training only endurance and stamina. Yeah, you know, yeah. and then I made the mistake of going, okay, I need to start bouldering. And what I would do is I would go into the gym and do these long boulder problems mm-hmm. that that mm-hmm. resembled routes more mm-hmm. than they resembled boulders. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I'm like, I'm not getting any stronger. You know, but it was yeah. my own mistake. Yeah. Did you tend toward that at first or did you, did Mike and Mark or did you yourself just force the idea of doing short, hard moves, little short sequences? How did you go into bouldering initially?
0: Um, Yeah, yeah. I mean, I certainly, I, I think what I tended towards less than doing longer boulder problems was, again, doing volume with bouldering oh yeah yeah. so i would go into the gym and and do a lot of problems like like for me maybe you know i would have a circuit of you know v8s and nines or something and do like 10 of them right which is not at all what i needed you know what i needed was to go in and try something at my limit Mm -hmm. for an hour and then quit (laughs) yeah, <laughs> you know, which sure. that was a, another really. hard.
1: It's really like, hard for people to learn in general. Totally, it's, yeah. It's a that's a really tough thing to connect with. Mm-hmm. Is failing on a move or two over and over and over, yeah. and then just quitting before you're yeah. before you've run yourself into the ground.
0: Totally, but I mean, it brings up, in my opinion, one of the golden rules about training is if it's not like hard and to some degree uncomfortable mm-hmm. it's it's not going to create any growth and i yeah. think that goes for all things in life in general i mean yep. emotional um certainly physical mental whatever you know and that was me just kind of like oh yeah i'm bouldering now i'm training but i also kind of like found my comfort zone you know what i mean so yeah. so i think inevitably um i think that the the message came full circle for me last summer when i was living in estes and i decided I actually came to climb a route on the diamond that I was really motivated on, but it ended up being too wet. And so I decided, well, I have a month of time here, a little more, so I guess I'll try this bouldering thing. And it was like the second or third day I'd ever been to chaos. I didn't tie in or do anything but climb in upper and lower chaos and then then for a little over a month. And that's when the message came full circle because I was I I set a goal for myself and um, I started trying boulders that were really hard or hard for me, you know? And then it was like, oh, you know, I kind of learned like, okay, try once, rest 10 minutes, try again. You know, maybe I only try this boulder six times, seven times, right? and then I hike out. Mm -hmm. And that was how I started to like finish boulders as opposed to, and furthermore, I, I set a goal that was like, uh, partially numerical, well, totally numerical. Like I wanted to climb a certain number of a certain grade, and in order to do that, it was like, "Damn, dude! I, you know, I can't. You know, I could have easily done three times as many V tens, but right. what I really wanted to do was climb routes that were or boulders that were really hard for me. So, um, so that kind of, and I'm really, I'm super goal oriented. Like, like maybe even to a fault where I kind of can't let go like once I emotionally commit to something, it's really hard for me to let go of it. Yep. And I think that that was the kind of kick in the ass I needed to be like, oh, and kind of really come full circle and really understand the whole power thing, understand the whole like like limit bouldering thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and
1: now, did you watch other boulders? how they structure their sessions totally, up there totally and and kind of steal from what they were doing
0: totally yeah i can remember one day i was bouldering with nick duddle who's an outstanding boulder and um in between tries he would like lay down yeah you know, like lay on the ground <clears throat> and do nothing for six minutes or whatever mm-hmm. and i was like huh that's that's pretty sick and um and especially coming from a root climbing background where it's like you're either belaying or climbing all day, basically. Maybe yep. you take a break for 45 minutes to eat lunch, but it's right. like there's always action. Like if you're not climbing, it's because you're belaying your your buddy. Mm-hmm. And then when it's your turn, you're going a muerte or you're hanging on hang dogging on the route forever. So there's kind of like if you want to boulder really well, I mean, yeah, it's it's you can't take the same attitude towards it. You really have to be like, okay, I'm gonna give full effort and then chill. And then give full effort and then chill. And I really learned this really well on the automator, which was the first V13 I ever did. I learned after the first day of trying that if I went too like aggressive at the boulder, it's like, um, for people that don't know, it's like probably like V10 ish to a really hard move right at the finish. And it's, and it's a little bit longer, um, maybe like 10 or 15, 10, 12 moves or something like that. Mm -hmm. And And yeah, I mean, I just, I learned pretty quickly, like, okay, I can give one really good try. If I rest 10 minutes, I can give another really good try. But I could feel like if I only rested four minutes, the try was so much worse. If I only rested eight minutes, it was, you know, and I kind of just like found that sweet spot. And thankfully I found it pretty early on in my like quest to do these boulders. And so then I just applied that same mentality to all the other boulders I did and it worked like, it worked really well.
1: Yeah, that's really important. I think I think that people often make the mistake of looking at the grades that everyone else is climbing and not paying attention to the way they structure their day or or just the you know, the mindset they take into it. You know, chances are when you were going out climbing with Nick, he was probably climbing boulders at a higher level than you were for at the sure. time. Yeah. So instead of you just throwing yourself at the same problems, you took what he was doing to approach that problem and applied it to your own climbing.
0: Oh, for sure. I mean, I've, I've never been the best at anything. And so it, it's always really helpful to, I'm not gonna pretend like I know how to do things better than... right than you know, anyone from that And that's matter.
1: what and that's what makes you good at things is because you you're able to watch take a back seat and then apply that to your own climbing.
0: Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I mean especially you know, the one thing that I'm kind of like excited about right now is like all these different like the interdisciplinary climbing thing. You mm-hmm. know I'm a little more excited on just bouldering now than I was before, but largely I've done that to improve my route climbing um but i think like all the different disciplines of climbing all lend such an incredible uh insight to the other disciplines of climbing etc etc and so i guess in that sense it's like yeah damn right when i go to spain and i climb with chris sharma i'm like dude like the dawn of american sport climbing i'm like gonna watch what Guy Watch what he does. does, you know. Yep. When I go out bouldering and you know, I'm like looking around the corner and I see Daniel or Ty Landeman or like, you know, many and many of the other like exquisite boulders that live in and around Colorado, I'm mm-hmm. like, dude, what's homeboy doing over there? Cause he like those bros and girls for that matter, plenty yeah. of girls yep. in this state. Um, I'm like, what you know, I want to learn. And likewise when I go climb on a wall with Tommy. It's like, I'm never trying to give Tommy any tips on how to rock climb. I'm yeah. just like taking back seat, man. Like, okay, this is how you build an anchor. Okay, here's how you go to the death.
1: <laughs> yeah, but, uh, but uh, in the, you know, on the flip side, I'm sure there are times where you're like, where you're, he's treating you like a peer as well. Like, what do you think about this beta or you know, what works here? What do you think about this? You know?
0: For sure, yeah. I mean, a great example is like in 2012, I went with Tommy to um, Yosemite for six weeks to try the Dawn Wall. And that was like, by all means, he was the teacher and I was the student, you know. And I was Mm -hmm. just like trying hard to keep up, you know, the whole time. And I learned immensely from that. And it was so sick. And then in the spring of 2014, we lived together in Us for several weeks. And he ended up climbing uh 14c which he hadn't done in like a decade which was so sick right you know and at the time i was trying biography and it was awesome to have that same exchange and like a little bit in the other way you know and he'd be like he'd be like at the end of the day you know he'd be like man i think it's gonna rain on sunday do you think i should try tomorrow or should i rest two days or i'm not that i'm kind of tired how many tries did you you know whatever and it was like oh cool you know, we can all just like kind of powwow together and all just like grow as climbers. And yeah, and I fun. think
1: climbing is this like, climbing is a, a selfish sport. I mean, For it sure. just really yeah. is. You're yeah. you're out there chasing your own goals all yeah. the time, and and it's really easy to get caught in that and not pay attention to what everyone else is doing. Mm-hmm. And it's I feel really fortunate to have gotten to climb around guys like you and BJ and Daniel and. You know, I I get to climb around some big names and I use that I use that time to learn, you Mm -hmm. know. Yeah. I mean, and there are specific examples. I remember watching you go up a project in the red and your first time up it, you just went up with a stick clip. Like there was no Yeah. There was no charade of I'm just gonna do all the moves first try. You're like, I'm gonna go up, I'm gonna identify holds, I'm gonna make this easy on myself, yeah. you know, do yeah. it efficiently. yeah. And that was a, a light bulb moment for me. Like, wow, you can, you know, if I'm approaching something really hard, mm-hmm. I don't have to just bang my head against it and fall 40 times at the same move. I yeah. can just go up, identify what's going on and then start trying the pieces. And that was huge for me. And I watch it with BJ, you know, I learn a ton from him mm-hmm. just about the mindful approach to climbing and, and he accepts my beta, which I think is cool. You know, mm-hmm. he's, while he was working on this uh, mutation project, mm-hmm. he changed some of his beta based on my beta for the, the individual pieces, yeah. things, things he had climbed, you know, hundreds of times. Yeah. He's like, oh, maybe that foot works better. Let me try it. Yeah. You know, and I think that's what makes good climbers good yeah. is they're willing to take the backseat and, and accept learning. You know, it's not, it's, it's a selfish thing to them for sure, but they're able to open up and include other people's thoughts into that. Mm -hmm. So, and I think that's probably the important part of what you did when you shifted to let me just let Mark and Mike kind of take over and tell me what to do.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think that's pretty cool. Has it, have there been moments where what you were doing didn't work? Or you felt, or you got frustrated with what was going on.
0: Um, for the first year, um, it was just like a just like a straight upward progression, and it was awesome. And I was, and it built. I built so much motivation to train, and I mean, I would feel like stronger every week. It was right. awesome. And which
1: is which is cool, but kind of sets you up for I know exactly disappointment the exactly next time. exactly.
0: Yeah. Um, and you know, I think the reason why is because I they helped me really pinpoint some of my weakness. Mm-hmm. And I worked hard on those things, but uh, no matter how good a tool is, it you know, can only work for a certain amount of time and it can only help you improve to a certain extent. Um, and I, I think I found a great tool by working with them and by, by following the program uh, for the most part. Um, and then, yeah, kind of this spring, um and a little bit also last year I just saw again using mostly the same tool. I had adjusted things a little bit, but mm-hmm. um yeah, I just saw it 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 wasn't as beneficial as it as it was before, which right. makes total sense. Yeah. And I and I came to basically a realization especially this spring, I felt as though I'd basically uh exhausted the capabilities of at least for the meantime of this tool. And um, I wanted to try something different. And I think both mentally and physically, um, I had spent like two years roughly. If I wasn't training my ass off, I was pretty much like at the crag trying to climbing
1: full time. Trying
0: to, yeah, trying to send near my limit, you know, and that kind of wore out on me a little bit. I think I took like an eight day break in 2014 and last year, uh, but otherwise I was either training or climbing like every day other than occasional rest day. So That's, um, that's tough
1: on a lot of levels. That's tough yeah. emotionally because I know you're the type of guy who gets emotionally invested For in sure. what you're doing. Yeah. And yeah, that's, that's really hard to do.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, and I think it all came to a head this spring. Um, I trained really hard before I went to try Jumbo Love and, um, you know, I, I kind of, I think I overtrained a little bit. Um I I don't I wouldn't say that I developed any injuries, but I definitely like parts of my body weren't working as well as they once had. Right. Um and then trying the hardest route of my life and then, you know, to to further uh you know, uh, to, to to put a little more uh heat under my ass, there was some kind of emotional things going on in my life personally as well. So it was just like kind of right before I left for Switzerland in early May I just kind of came to the realization of like okay I'm going to try something different for a little while and and that's what you that's what this is all about right yeah for it's sure it's like you kind of come to the end of the road and you have to have the foresight to say I'm going to try something a little bit different yep. even though it feels risky even though I know that I could do a month long hangboarding session and my fingers would feel incredible by the end. Um you know, they might not be any stronger than before, but they would feel my strongest again and whatever. I know I could follow the same whatever path. Um I think for me I just yeah, I needed something different and I kind of gave up on the training, went to Switzerland, um and that was the perfect opportunity for me to kind of just play and climb. And I was by all means, I was hustling and I was trying to climb hard and whatever, but um You know, I had a lot of rainy days and uh, a lot of time spent alone and stuff, which was like kind of exactly what I feel like I needed. And when I got back, I felt super refreshed and a lot more motivated for my fall goals. And and yeah, for the rest of the year, I'm kind of trying to not train indoors Mm -hmm. systematically like I have the last couple of years. I really want to see, you know, take a page from Ethan Pringle or from Chris Sharma Two guys who are huge inspirations for me, um, neither of which have really ever done systematic training at right, all, right um, and see if I can, you know, do this interdisciplinary thing and uh, like see where that can take me. Yeah, on. and
1: I think that's what they do that that makes it work, yeah, is they can they can switch back and forth between bouldering, sport climbing, going to do bigger stuff, you know, doing shorter, harder stuff, mm-hmm. whatever. They switch back and forth often enough mm-hmm. and are trying hard enough at all of those disciplines mm-hmm. that, that it works for them.
0: Yeah, and, and that's the main takeaway, your last sentence there. Because I was always like, man, Chris Sharma is just like a genetic god and it's like so unfair how good he is at climbing and he never right. has to train or whatever. And then you go to the crag and you climb with him and he, he has this like incredible balance between um, like being so tranquilo and also I mean, when he tries, he erupts with energy, you know. Right. And that's exactly what you need if you're not gonna go in the gym. Cause that's the same attitude I would bring into my training sessions, mm-hmm. where it'd be like during my three minute rest or whatever, I was like, bring my whole psych level down, way down, no like overstoker, like listen to my music, sit down, relax, prepare, and then go. To the death, when I was like hanging or or lifting weights or whatever it was, and then again come back down. And Chris like exemplifies that. I can totally understand how he's been climbing his whole life, never really trained, and has gotten to where he is now. Because yeah, I mean, when he pulls onto the rock and tries, he might only try a couple times a day, but he's going to the death, you know. And not that many people can say that about their efforts for sure.
1: And and that's something I think you can work on. Totally, you know, it's totally. There's a lot more to progressing in this sport than just hangboarding or lifting weights no, or totally. or whatever. Yeah. There's a a huge mental, emotional, psychological component mm-hmm. that I think those guys are really good at. Totally, you know, mm-hmm. and 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 you can, you know, Ethan just was very open about his struggles in the emotional end of climbing, mm-hmm. and I think the fact that he struggles with that stuff is part of what makes him so good because because he can be tapped into his emotions and and can do exactly what you just said you know he can go out not having you know climbed on something long and hard for a while and and just be so emotionally invested in it that he can he can perform really well on Mm -hmm. it right off the bat
0: totally yeah and and i have a Kind of one of the main things that I struggle with is this sense of like earning everything, and I, um, it's really hard for my, it's really hard for me to allow myself to uh, accept success if I don't feel like I've prepared for it, and that doesn't necessarily mean that I have to be in the gym for three months before I try any project, but like, uh, like I, 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 you know, if I flew to Spain tomorrow. Uh, like randomly someone was like, oh, here's a ticket to Spain, go for a month. Um, I know like physically there's no reason why I couldn't perform, but mentally I'd be like, oh, I was not ready. I was not prepared for this. Mm -hmm. I'm not like emotionally and mentally prepared to try my hardest. And I I don't feel like I've kind of, you know, walked the path towards success, um, you, you know, so I don't deserve it basically. And it would probably be enough to prevent me from succeeding. Um, yeah. And that's like one of the biggest things for me because it's so strongly ingrained in, in myself. And I think that's, again, to, to, to bring it back to what we were speaking about before, I think that's part of the reason why it was so hard for me to let go of my like tendencies towards volume and towards like all this, all this junk training and like kind of going overboard because to me it was like, Oh dude, I went in the gym so hard the last month. Like I'm ready to, to prepare. And I could like look back in the moment of, you know, standing beneath the project, I could look back to the month I had just spent like getting, you know, getting so pumped. I wanted to barf in the gym every day and be like, okay, I deserve it. You know? And so that's the hardest, that's one of the hardest things like emotionally that I have to like try and overcome.
1: Yeah. And I think we I think we often mistake what going hard means. Yeah. You know, I think we we always equate it with like you just said that you have to puke after your session yeah. or you feel totally worked. But going hard can just as just as well be what you were talking about with Nick Duddle where or with Chris Sharma, where he only tries, ties in twice, but but he goes a muerte that mm-hmm those attempts yeah, you know and i think it's hard it, it, it is going hard to be able to bring yourself down rest you know and and wait for that next attempt mm-hmm. i think that's going just as hard as wrecking yourself
0: yeah you know yeah.
1: but it's a different kind of hard it's not as physically hard for as long mm-hmm. it's more mentally emotionally psychologically difficult
0: mm-hmm. yeah so. totally
1: so are you bouldering now? Are you so I mean you were up in lower chaos yesterday? Mm-hmm.
0: So Yeah. Um well do you have bouldering goals. I, I do, yeah. I I saw so much benefit last year after bouldering just in like being snappy and being powerful. And I think I maintained my finger strength really well. Mm-hmm. I don't know, I don't think it made my fingers stronger than it would than I would have in a training session, but I think it like kept me near a level that I wanted to be at. Um so I am really ambitious to do another. Bouldering cycle here, probably because I think it will improve you know chances of me climbing well in the fall, but also I think because I just like it now and it's fun and there's like yeah. really cool boulders that I want to try
1: and um, having that snappy feeling I mean that's a good feeling to have for you sure know, when yeah you, when you climb and you know you can can explode like that totally it's such a cool feeling
0: totally and that's what I'm principally lacking um, and so it just feels cool. I feel like like a hero when I'm like, yeah, I can jump. <laughs> I can like grab that hold <laughs> fast. You know, it's like fun. Um, but uh, for the meantime, I'm really motivated by um, this route I'm trying on the diamond. Um, I've been trying now for a couple of weeks. Um, it, 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 initially, it was mostly trying like as a rope solo and just like kind of logistically and, and um, like physically preparing like, uh, acclimatizing and stuff. Um, and now I'm trying on the sharp end. I get, just have tried once from the ground. Um, and I'll try again tomorrow actually. So that's, that's my main kind of motivation for now. And if I can hopefully get through that, then, then there's a few more trad routes I want to do and, and also kind of mixing some bouldering between now and like the middle or the end of September.
1: Yeah, that's really cool. I'm, I'm glad you're going that route instead of, you know, constantly pushing against, the ceiling of grades. Yeah. You know, I think it's really important like we just talked about with Chris and Ethan to step back and and like you like you're calling it an interdisciplinary approach mm-hmm. to climbing, you know. I think that's that's probably the way forward for so many people starting even at the bottom levels, you yeah. know, all the way up to the top levels. Totally. because you're going to avoid burnout. When you're doing different moves and grabbing different holds, you're going to avoid injury. Mm -hmm. Um, Just a really cool way to approach it. And when we were up at Lower Chaos yesterday and I heard you say, you know, I'm going to bed at 8 tomorrow night because I'm climbing on the diamond on Sunday. Yeah. I just think that's the way to do it. Yeah. I really think loving all the disciplines is the way to go and the way to becoming a better climber.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think, like you said, more than anything – it's all rock climbing, right? But yeah. I mean, man, the difference between a day in rifle, a day on the diamond, and a day in lower chaos is immense. Yeah, and it's huge. Both like physically, mentally, like, you know, the way you interact with your partners, like socially. Um, and so it's refreshing to change. Definitely.
1: Yeah. And the more you do it, you know, you, the, the easier you can flip that switch. Mm-hmm. You know, it's if I just boulder for months and months and then I go try to climb a sport route it's a shit show because yeah, yeah, I, I can't totally. flip that switch, you know? Yeah. But you know, Nate and I have been on the road for a week now and we are, we've, I sport climbed the day before I hooked up with him. And since we've bouldered and trad climbed and, you know, we've climbed on Vita Vue granite. We've climbed at Lincoln Lake. We've climbed it mm-hmm. lower chaos. Awesome. So it's been, you know, it's been really fun switching from rock types and totally, you know, grip types and, you know, I, I envy that because I, I grew up in the red, and mm-hmm. you know it's grabbing horizontal sandstone edges forever and ever and ever, mm-hmm. for the most part. So yeah,
0: yeah, and I think I think one thing that I always really try and communicate to um, all levels of climbers, but certainly beginners and certainly like like intermediate level climbers, is try to i had a goal like early on in my climbing that i wanted to climb 514 on all the rock types Mm -hmm. and i think that even if that goal is 510 or 511 or whatever or even if it's just like hey every weekend in september i'm going to climb on a different rock type and of course you know depending on where you live that can be quite limiting right but you know in colorado it's pretty it's quite possible Mm -hmm. in um in the west in general um oregon washington whatever it's quite possible i think that that's such an incredible way cuz the demands of like like sandstone versus granite versus um you know volcanic tuff versus you know limestone they're like they're they're so different yeah. and the hold types are different the way it's going to like you know the way it's going to stress your fingers and your arms and whatever mm-hmm. um and that i always suggest that to people is like an awesome kind of way to improve you know i think that if you know i think that people could could jump around between between rock types and and then furthermore bouldering sport climbing track climbing whatever if you're into that like man that's gonna you're gonna your skill set is gonna be enormous
1: yeah and i think that's the big takeaway here is follow this sort of interdisciplinary approach that you're advocating you know have have big goals Mm -hmm. in in the different disciplines Mm -hmm. but constantly switch it up and to take a back seat and learn from people yeah totally i I definitely think that's the the big takeaway here yeah so man thanks for sitting down with me yeah taking some time out yeah totally good luck on the diamond tomorrow
2: thank you yeah man thanks hopefully it happens (laughs) all right i'll see you soon man yeah
0: thanks man I
1: don't think it's a coincidence that the best climbers out there spend a lot of their time climbing rather than lifting and hangboarding. And like we discussed, there's certainly a time and a reason to systematically train. But if that training doesn't include a lot of climbing, you're either an elite climber already, you don't have time or access to climb, or you're doing it wrong. If you've made it this far, I've got a simple tip for you that Jonathan has really embodied in his climbing. Whether it's training or performing indoors or outdoors, you will do yourself a real favor if you try to cycle between three different sessions. Climb hard, climb more, and explore. Difficulty, volume, and learning new things. Do those three sessions regularly and you'll get better, I promise. The blog post for this episode, you'll find more about Jonathan and where you can find him online. You'll also find thousands of articles, training plans, courses, and products that can help you become a better climber. We just completely overhauled the website to make it easier to navigate all of that advice. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Power Company Climbing, but you won't find us on Twitter because we don't tweet, we scream like eagles.
0: This time, 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 time, this time, this time, time, this time,